Hi everyone and welcome to the Learner's Corner Podcast. This is the podcast for lifelong learners where we learn from anything and everything. My name is Kaylin Mason. And my name may or may not be Todd Hicksonball. And today we are going to be learning about racial reconciliation and white supremacy from some of our good friends from the podcast, James Talbert, Skylar Robinson, and Zach Cole. Now before... Zach's a new friend. Now before we get into our conversation, we want to let you know about an awesome thing that just recently happened with the podcast. We have a website. Boom sauce! We just recently launched it, and so if you want to go to our website, check out some of our previous episodes, you can do that by checking into into the show notes and looking it up there, because otherwise... We'd have to tell you what it is, and it's kind of long. So... The best way is to find them in the show notes, and if you don't know how to get to the show notes, Todd will tell you at the end of the episode. Why do I have to do all the heavy lifting? Don't answer that. So, we are so, so excited to be able to talk with these guys today. They are actually based out of Akron, and the church that they are all a part of is called Citizens Akron Church. Akron, Ohio, by the way. And if you've been a life or a longtime listener for the podcast, you've heard James and Skylar on yes. the podcast before. But one of the things that we're going to be talking with them about today is the racial reconciliation um, that that needs to be happening in our country. Uh, what kind of their perspective on it, um, as well as events that have happened in Charlottesville and other things that pertain to the topic of just race in our country, as well as um, what we can all be doing about it to to kind of bring everybody together. And this episode may frustrate you. That's okay. And that's okay. You can learn from people who you disagree with and who have different perspectives, which is one of the reasons why we started this podcast in the first place. Because we learn from anything and everything. And so, with that, we're going to join our conversation with Skylar, James, and Zach. Well, we're excited to be joined by James and Skylar and Zach today. And really, just what we want to start out talking about is, you know, the recent events that happened in Charlottesville. You know, at the time of this recording, you know, it's only been two or three weeks since Charlottesville happened. And um, we just want to start out by, you know, getting your guys' initial thoughts about what happened in Charlottesville. Yeah. um, My initial thoughts, uh, my initial thoughts were kind of, I don't want to say indifferent, but um, I just wasn't ready to deal with it. Like, I kind of been worn out from everything that's happened over the over the years with all the other police brutality shootings and different things like that. Um, and I was just like, man, like something else. Like, I don't want to look into it. I don't want to talk about it. <clears throat> um, so that was kind of my thing. Uh, that was my initial reaction. But I know I had to. <laughs> obviously, I, I had to look into it. Um, and be aware of what's going on. Um, so, yeah, that was my initial reaction. I didn't really want to deal with the conversations of people asking me, what should we do? How do we handle this? Like, let me, you know, let me grieve about it first. So, that was my initial reaction. I think for me, Charlottesville was, it had a similar feeling to a lot of police brutality issues, but then again, it didn't. I feel like in police brutality issues, uh, even though I believe that a lot of police brutality issues are the result of the same white supremacy and the same white privilege, uh, 
that exists with police officers. Uh, I think with Charlottesville, it was just different because in a lot of those cases, you can say, hey, that police officer was protecting themselves. And maybe they were. Like, you never know. You could say, hey, we didn't see the whole situation. There's like a hidden context. You just seen a few minutes of a Facebook Live video. And that very well could be, even though I think in, in most of those cases, it is the result of, uh, of police brutality. With Charlottesville, that was the greatest demonstration of hate I've ever seen in my lifetime. I mean, to just watch the news and to see people there and the galvanizing force behind their gathering being literal hate was just something that was completely different. And for me, like, I watch movies like uh, Selma. I watch movies like uh, 12 Years a Slave. And I'm like, man, that's something that was trapped in history. And the effects of that we still feel today. But to actually see something like that in uh, 2017 was my initial reaction was shock. Yeah, I think it's deeply sad, right? And that's a crazy... Like, I actually, I didn't... I'm kind of news oblivious sometimes, and I didn't hear about it until Sunday morning. And I, it, like, hit... My wife was telling me about it while we were getting ready um, to leave for the day, and it was just this like overwhelming sense of like hopelessness and fear, I think a little bit, but different in the sense that with other, with other situations where you see young black men getting shot, it, and like it could be justified in some capacity. Mm -hmm. This is like overt racism. Like this, this gave people an excuse to say, no, I am like, and maybe they weren't saying this, but maybe they were like, I am racist. I am prejudiced, like, I do believe that you are less than. Like, that, you had a, a group of people saying to another group of people, like, you are less than. And that, in, in all the other, like, situations where it's a one-on-one, -on -one or he said, she said, uh, or he said, he said, whatever, you see, yeah, it's, you can come to, like, this rational place with it, and this was just, it was just hate. Um, and that like brought me to a place of sadness that I feel like I hadn't, I have not experienced in other comparable type situations or scenarios. You know, one of one of the terms that you know, and we've even talked about this a little bit um, on previous episodes of the podcast. Um, but one of the terms that I keep hearing a lot is just this idea of white privilege. Can you guys explain that a little bit and like kind of define it for us? Yeah, I would say that white privilege is a social construct that is held by individuals who historically have made decisions, uh, individuals who have historically owned, individuals who have historically had a step up in a cultural privilege in a way that other individuals don't. Uh, from our nation's inception, this idea of race, like, is a social construct. Like, I'm brown and of African descent. Like, I'm not black. Like, you're not white. But the idea of black and white, like, the idea of race was an oppressive system that was designed to, like, 
give a certain group of people a step up and a certain group of people a step down. So when, like, we say white privilege, what we mean is, like, it's a privilege that is held by a group of people that gives them social rights that other people groups don't. In America, it happens to be people of minority descent who don't have those certain rights and privileges. Could you give us an, a, a, just a quick example? I think it's kind of obvious um, that in situations like with Charlottesville and with other things where that is, but could you give us an example of everyday white privilege? Because I think for the average person um, who, who is, might be listening to this today, <clears throat> especially if they're white, they might be thinking, well, I'm not a racist. How, how do I have white privilege? What's, what's an example of like what it looks like to have everyday privilege in that way? Right, so... An uh, example I use is, right, you have a 20-mile radius called, or however long, suburb, right? Um, the, the, the opportunity or the privilege to only cross paths in your day-to-day with people who look like you, most likely think like you and act like you, have the same cultural preferences and bents in society. Um, you know, you have all your eat healthies, all your fitness shops, all your malls, all your stores, all your schools. Like, any, anything you want to do is there, your jobs, whatever. Um, many minorities don't have that privilege. Like our workplaces, our schools, uh, our stores, our neighborhoods, I mean, anywhere we go, we're going to come in contact with people who don't think like us, who don't look like us, um, who don't share the same preference in music or fashion, um, you name it. Uh, so we kind of have to have this more well-rounded view and um, tolerance of of things and people who aren't like us. So even into how cities and stuff are constructed then. Yeah, I mean, this even goes to to that. And just to go back to your previous question, I don't believe that white privilege and racism are synonymous. Mm -hmm. Like, like, just because you have white privilege as a white person Mm -hmm. doesn't mean at all that you're racist. Yeah. Like, the whole foundation that our whole movement here stands on, like Citizens Akron, and the well, like everything we're doing here, like stands on the back of individuals who are minorities, individuals who are not minorities, who have come together and said, we want to create spaces, religious and non-religious spaces, where people of any race, color, creed, socioeconomic level, can all come together and be in meaningful relationship. And as spiritual and Christian individuals, we pray that that leads them towards the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the white members of our organization, I mean, principally Zach, who is leading here, are using the privilege that they have and leveraging it for the good of neighbor. Mm-hmm. Who doesn't look like them? So I wouldn't yeah. say like white privilege at all. Like it's synonymous mm-hmm. with racism. So there's this difference then that you guys see the, between the two. I think because I think that what I hear a lot of folks saying, especially after the Charlottesville thing, is, "Well, I'm not racist. I don't understand how I have white privilege." Or, or and I mean, like, and here's like white privilege and white supremacy are two completely different right. things mm-hmm. and two completely different ideals. Like what was happening in Charlottesville was white nationalist groups that contained like the Ku Klux Klan, like white supremacist groups. It was a compilation of different white supremacist groups who believe that to be white is better than being everything else and everyone else should be in submission 
to that idea of, of whiteness, like the good old America. I don't believe that's at all the same thing as having white privilege. Right. Gotcha. Like, white privilege is like this, it's in a sense, race is ubiquitous in America. It's just the way the foundation of our nation was set. So individuals who are white, like Zach doesn't wake up and say, hey, I have white privilege. This is something that I want to do. This is something that I want to have. I want to have a leg up in a way that my minority neighbors don't. It's not something he chooses. It's something that is it's a social construct. Right. Right. Versus white supremacy, that's a choice. Mm. That's a tribe that you decide to subscribe to versus a social construct that is ubiquitous. It simply is. Gotcha. James was just hitting on this a little bit, but to put a term around it and like a daily... Like, how do, you, how do you recognize this daily, right? So what does it mean for us on an everyday basis? Like, white people don't wake up every day thinking, I'm white. Because the whole, the whole world that they function in is, like, is normal for a white, mm-hmm. for a white person. Mm-hmm. Where, whereas maybe James and Skylar walk around and they have moments and times throughout the day where they recognize their blackness. There are, unless I am super intentional about recognizing my whiteness. There are not times where I think, man, I'm, I'm white, right? Where James, Same for me, yeah. <laughs> as, yeah. As, now that I think about it. James, James and Skylar may be driving down the street and think, like if a cop car pulls behind them, they're thinking, I'm a black man driving in an urban neighborhood. What could happen? Mm-hmm. Sure. I don't have that same thought. Yeah, neither I, do I. I just look down at my speedometer and think, all right, am I going 25 or am I going 35? <laughs> and you and I, James, James and I have actually had a conversation about that before. It, and I think actually, Skylar, you and I have had that conversation before too, where for me, whenever a cop comes behind me, I get, I get ticked because I'm like, really? Now I got to slow down. Now I have to slow down. But like your guys' mentality and what we've talked about is totally different. Right. Like, whereas for me, and I, and I think... Eh, for a lot of a lot of people, like my dad used to freak out on cops whenever they pull him over. But you and I have had this conversation before. Mm-hmm. Like that's not even something that enters into your mind state of something oh, no. that you would do. Yeah. And and it's good to preface that we felt that way before social media. <laughs> before <laughs> sure, before sure. people were taking videos of all these shit. Yeah. Like that's how we felt in the nineties. Just so sure. you know. <laughs> yeah. You know something that, and I think we talked about this. Last week, you know, just continuing the conversation on, you know, white privilege. And I think, James, we were talking about this, is how even sometimes being offended is a form of white privilege. Can you talk about that a little bit more? I mean, the right to assume, like the, 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 the power, it's not a right, like let's talk about it. The power to assume is in fact like a form of white privilege in a lot of ways. So, like, being a Christian, I didn't experience blatant forms of racism. Like, I went to a school in the Akron area called Barberton. And Barberton, even though it's a better mix than some schools, it's still predominantly white. There, there are Bosnian and Serbian refugees there, African Americans there, but it's still predominantly white. And there are still some pretty, uh, pretty old school parts of Barberton, if you know what I'm saying. There's still some parts of, like... Barberton, where people believe that the old way of racism is the way to go. But uh, I never experienced blatant racism 
until I became a Christian. And when I was a Christian, and I went to Milan, and I'll never forget, uh, I had a work-study job, and I worked in the athletic department, and I was walking into the athletic department, and as soon as I got into the athletic department, I had a coach, like, screaming at me to get to practice. And he was, like, screaming at the top of his lungs for me to get to practice. And I actually wasn't an athlete on that coach's team. But that coach literally assumed that I was an athlete on that team because I was an African-American at the predominantly white Malone School. So he assumed that for me to be there, I must be an athlete on this team. And when I said to that coach, hey, actually don't play for your team. I'm actually going to work. He just, like, turned even more red and just turned around and walked away. And that was the end of that discussion. As Christians, right, as all of us are sitting around this circle, I think, like, one of the major, one of the major unassumed sins of, like, White privilege can be just the like the like the power of assumption, and we don't like as minorities have the power of assumption in America, like the power to to simply assume things. Like for instance, a lot, and this has socioeconomic elements as well, but a lot of my white friends, like they assume, like college is assumed. Mm. For a lot of them, like, a certain type of, like, marriage or wedding is assumed. A lot of things in life are just, like, simply assumed. And for a lot of minorities, like, the assumption is actually, like, the opposite. So the power to assume well is, is, a, is a subsect, I believe, of white privilege. So, you know, I guess the next question I have is, um, and I'll phrase it one way for you, Zach, and I'll phrase it another way for you guys. You know, Zach, how, how do you use your white privilege for the benefit of others? And then for Skylar and James, you know, how would you like to see, like, I don't know how else to say this, but like white people use their white privilege for the benefit of minorities as well? Man, I, I had a situation once... And it's, it's a minimal thing, but I think it's a good example into other things. Um, I was out with a group of friends, an only black guy there that night, and it was for someone who was moving out of state. <clears throat> and we were all at this bar in Canton, and, like, everybody thought it was whack. It was, like, a terrible time. And I was like, yo, there's this other bar, like, sports bar. It's really nice. This dope environment. It's like a block over, but it was in, like, I guess even though they were one street apart, like this street is more classy than this street. Um, so nobody wanted to go. And I was just like offended because I'm just like, yo, like everybody's like shooting down my idea. Like it's only a block over. Everybody's miserable here at this spot and nobody wants to go. And this other girl um, who was there kind of, she noticed that I was like a little salty. And she just like, was like, hey, I'd love to go. And she, like, routed, she got everybody on board, and we all went over to this bar, like, sports bar, and everybody had a good time. Um, but it was because she thought it was a good idea and made them feel like it was a good idea that everybody finally decided to go. Um, and so in those ways, like, in that way, 
in the little day-to-day things, but even in the big things. Like, it's it's recognizing that you do have um, some privilege and some power to persuade um, is where a minority doesn't. So, so championing... So championing things, seeing that, seeing what's going on, and championing something is that is yeah. that accurate to what you're kind of talking about? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. I think like one of my favorite things about being a part of what we're doing here, like from the church end to the well end, and the coffee shop downstairs. Shout out Compass Coffee. Compass. Akron, Ohio. Come get some coffee. <laughs> I just was drinking tea. It's they have tea too. It's phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. Compass Coffee. I'm is just wonderful. saying. I mean, I think you should do a podcast episode with Eric and talk to him. I, I think that I think that if Eric gives me free tea, we can make something happen. <laughs> you know what? I don't know if it'll be free, Todd. We might make you pay double, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the one of the things I love most about being here, and Skyler like nailed it on the head. I think I think as African Americans when it comes to white privilege and one thing we don't like to do as African Americans and I'm raising my hand one thing I don't like to do is to continually educate and it's I'll to like and it's to let folks it's to let folks into my experience mm-hmm. because that's a really tender place mm. right it's just like a really 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 hurtful place in a lot of a lot of instances and I don't want to let like non-minorities into my into my space and educate them as to how it actually how it actually feels how it actually affects my people group how it actually affects me like I'm in a yeah just to be completely raw like my wife is white and like I hate when people ask me like hey what's it like to to be in an interracial marriage how are you guys dealing with Charlottesville? Are you having conversations with a family? Like, there's a part of me that like hates hearing that because it's like it's really personal and it's really tender. But it is my duty. It's my duty to educate. I think on the other side, and what I love about being here is I think for my white friends, like they have a responsibility to incite. So for us, it's to educate. Mm-hmm. But I think for my white friends, it's to incite. Mm-hmm. What I love about being here is uh, a rapper and a pastor named Taylor Gray. He has a lyric. He says, my church is mostly white, but trust me, I got some brothers. And we don't play around like we don't see color. One thing I love about being here is that there is an honest vibe amongst my white brothers and sisters. No one's joking around like about colorblind stuff. No one's pretending that this stuff doesn't exist. That as we engage it together, I continually see like members of my community like stepping towards these issues, like white members of my community, and inciting others to step towards these issues. Like Zach can tell you more about it, but Zach lives in the Middlebury neighborhood, in the Middlebury community, which is forty two percent, yeah, forty two percent African American. Thanks, Curtis. For those statistics, <laughs> Middlebury is 42% African-American. Shout out, Curtis. Shout out to Curtis. He's downstairs. The Zach lives in this neighborhood, and the reason and the purpose that Zach lives in this neighborhood is because Zach and others have decided that they want to be the light and hands and feet of Jesus in this neighborhood. And part of what that means is to, like, step across a whole bunch of color lines. So here in Akron, there was a, a gunshot that went off at this park. 
in a neighborhood called Ellet, right? So they shut down the basketball court for a little while. And the idea of a basketball court for people who read the newspaper lately has been associated with that gunshot that went up. Zach wants to connect with people in his neighborhood. So Zach is like, the way for me to connect with my neighbors is to put a basketball court up on the block that's right next to my house. That's what it means to leverage privilege. So they're out there having yard sales, like doing whatever they can do to raise the money to get this court put up so that they have an opportunity to connect with their neighbors who are predominantly African-American and refugee over on his street where he's at. Like that's what it means to like insight change and to leverage privilege. And it's my privilege to be here in a community with my brothers and sisters who see that as Christian responsibility. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, how do I, and so the question is, how do I leverage white privilege? Um, I don't know if this is too much to say, but like because of, like my, I grew up, my dad's a CEO. He's the CEO of an, uh, the Akron Area YMCA. He was the CEO of the Akron Area YMCA. So I have an opportunity. I, I have an opportunity because of who my family is in this city to sit in front of funders, to sit in front of foundations, to sit in front of the wealthy and affluent people of Akron and say, hey, help us fight for justice. And, and we've, been, we've been relatively successful um, in, in raising funds to create a place Um, that is a true well in a community that no matter your skin color, no matter your socioeconomic background, whether you have a job, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, like whatever that looks like, like this can be a safe place for you um, at the well. And ultimately like this, this building becomes a platform for us to, to then go out and raise funds to rehab homes and create home ownership in the Middlebury neighborhood for the minorities in the community. Um, who may never on their own have an opportunity to own a house, right? Because they come from a, like, white people for generations now have built wealth through the context of home ownership and land ownership. Right. So how do, how do I take advantage of the fact that I was able to come in and pay cash for my super cheap house in the middle of this community and then leverage that to put another homeowner in a house and leverage credit on my house to put another homeowner in a house? And then create a context at the well where we can address systemic issues that oppress minorities to say, all right, how do we fight for true justice in a way where we can give somebody else an opportunity to advocate for their future in a way that they wouldn't have in the past? So, so we can sit, I can, James and I can go to a room because of the family that I have come from and ask for resources in a way that a lot of minorities wouldn't be able to. So how do I leverage the space that I have a little bit easier access into to advocate for justice, to advocate for empowering or giving power, literal power to people to make decisions for their own selves? And I think that's something that like white people don't think about it in that way, right? Like I don't think about the fact that I own my home and that actually gives me a power to influence my future. Like when you're renting, who has the power over your house? Your landlord chances are high that your landlord is some white wealthy dude living in the suburbs, right? But when you, when you can restore home ownership in a community, when you can give home ownership to someone who maybe has never owned their home before and no one in their family has ever owned their home, 
and you can create equity for that person. It's giving them the power, the ability, the dignity to say, no, be, whether, whether the, the prices of my property rise, well, no matter where my property goes, like I have the power and the ability to make a decision for my future. Right? When I own land, when I have equity in something, like I have the decision-making power in it. And that's one of those simple things that white privilege speaks directly to that like I just don't, like as white people, I don't think we think about often. Because it's just assumed that one day I'm going to grow up, I'm going to own my home. But what, what is my home, right? I'm going to sell my home one day. And you know who gets that money? My son. Right? My three kids, when I sell my house for 80, 90,000, well, my house isn't worth that much. When I sell my house for, <laughs> for $50,000 maybe, like that buys Parker his first car. And then Parker, my five-year-old son, has, or when he's 16, 17, 18, has an asset, right? And then he is creating wealth for himself because he's actually able to have equity in something. And so that's something that we're doing at the well, and we're trying to say, hey, how do we utilize the privilege that we have to ultimately advocate for justice and giving true power and true decision-making ability back to the hands of people in our community? Somebody say amen. 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 <laughs> You know, I think, I think one way that, you know, I, I try to use my white privilege and this will um, transition to what we want to talk about next is, you know, especially like I've seen, I've seen like a lot of frustration and anger come mm-hmm. around like people, like specifically like whenever Colin Kaepernick like started kneeling yeah. and, you know, you have other players who aren't standing for the flag and I see people get mad. And oh, no, not mad. Sorry, mom. They get pissed. <laughs> and hysterical. And, you know, one of the things that I'll normally try to do is, like, just ask, hey, do you, like, do you understand why they're doing that? And most people don't really think about that. They don't understand right. the other person's perspective. Shannon Sharp was talking about that the other day, where he said, you know, nobody is willing to address the actual issue that they're protesting. Right. They're just wanting to address what the protest is. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so... You know, just asking you guys, you know, recently, and this is something that I, like, personally, I've been excited to see, is, like, some of, like, the white athletes, like, Chris Long, like, coming beside, like, mm-hmm. Malcolm Jenkins. And I was even just reading an article um, uh, just yesterday about Aaron Rodgers, and, you know, they're kind of doing a biography about him. And he was saying, you know, I go to, like, Martellus Bennett and to Randall Cobb and, like, ask, like, what does this mean to you guys? Like, what does this mean to them, and so just from your guys' perspective, like what what has been your reaction to seeing like the white athletes like kind of join with like everybody else? And on top of that, how does that relate to what the everyday person needs to be doing as well? When the minority culture starts to engage it stops being an angry minority, or when the majority culture starts to engage, it stops being an angry minority and real issues can be addressed, mm-hmm. right? And when the majority culture be- stands up and says, hey, this is, this is the realities that we live in, like it, it starts to take blinders off. Like, oh, why does the majority culture care? Well, because it's the realities that people are facing. And when you can sympathize and like empathize and really move towards people, and I don't think sympathize is the right word, empathy. When you can have empathy and like put yourself in a position where you feel the pain of the person next to you, 
I, and I don't, I don't mean to put it all on the shoulders of the white majority, but the white majority has to stand up and say something. Right? We have to stand up and raise attention with, with my family and my grandparents and the people around me. Um, I had friends who went to Germany about a year ago, and that one of the things, they had never been there before, and they're a younger couple um, in late 20s, early 30s, and one of the things that they were shocked by was the presence of, like, of Nazi, of, like, Nazi issues, okay? So, and, but the thing that it wasn't this, like, praise, like, honoring the Nazis, it was a, it was a shame. It was a, the German society feels shame for how they oppressed the minority cultures, and I think until America and white culture gets to a place where we are shameful, where we are ashamed of the way that our country has historically treated minorities, we will not change. And it will only get worse until we come to a place where you and me, literally like the 30-year-olds, the 25-year-olds, the 35-year-olds who had nothing to do with slavery can come to a place and feel ashamed. Ashamed. Like, I don't, don't take that word lightly. Like, we as a society need to feel ashamed of the, of the way that we treated minorities. Right? And, and, and we, can even, we can even go bigger than just, like, the black-white conversation, right? Like, we killed Native Americans when we got to this place. Like, our, our ancestors in some point in time came over and, like, a genocide to the Native American people who had lived here peacefully for who knows how long, right? And then, like, a genocide of a black culture when, during the slave trade, right? How many people died on boats that we just don't even know about, right? And we just go around like, oh, this is, it's, it was in the past, and it was whatever, and it is what it is, and I'm not a part of that. Well, you, like, but you kind of were, like... Your wealth and your privilege was built on the backs of that. So, like, how can you say you're, like, so white culture. So, in the sports context, like, you have, it's so good, I think, that people are standing up and saying, like, no, I'm in this too. I want to fight for and advocate for the injustice that I see in the culture. Um, And not that, I don't mean to, like, communicate. I don't think white people are, like, the white saviors that are going to come in and, like, fix the problem. Right, but I think I think recognition has to come from the majority culture in a sense that says, No, we are ashamed of the way that our country has handled this and has been handling this and we need to do something differently. White culture has the, the a, a large microphone that they need to begin begin to use. Yeah. And we need to give the microphone to the minority culture, right? right? It it can't just be me standing mm-hmm. up and saying something. We have to we have to give the privilege, we have to give the opportunity, we have to surrender ourselves to say, "No, my my brother who has a different skin tone than I do is made in the image of God and created with dignity in the same way that I have been created and made with dignity." So if there's something that I can do to give them a microphone, like I need to do it. Right, and so for for a white football player to come alongside someone and like hold microphones together side by side is so different than just the minority culture trying to say, "Look at me!" Like, come on, is someone? Are you paying attention? Like, do you see the injustice that my family for generations has been wrestling with? Um, and so I think for the white culture to come alongside and say, "No, this is an issue," 
Like, I do feel ashamed of the way that we have treated minorities in America for generations. Mm -hmm. um, it, it speaks volumes to those players and their hearts. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, uh, in sports, um, in baseball, Jackie Robinson, like, one of the things that incited the change in that is uh, his teammate, Pee Wee, I forget his name right now, mm -hmm. but... I know you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. When, when as Jackie Robinson came out and all all of the stands were booing him, he came and put his arm beside Jackie and said, whatever you say about him, you say about me. Like, we're in this together. I'm with him. I, I misquoted him, but that was the heart of what he said. And I believe that speaks to what Zach just spoke to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what we're talking about here is conciliation. Like... A buzzword right now is like racial reconciliation but the idea of reconciliation without conciliation is foolish like the idea of reconciliation without us coming to a table and acknowledging the problem and airing what has actually happened is crazy and that's why we're doing a conference uh, October 28th it's gonna be called together and the point of together is for us to come together with churches in Akron, in the Akron area, and to actually, like, have a space of conciliation. For us to say, hey, we want to put these things out here on the table. As a church, we want to rejoice in what God has been doing historically and what he's doing in our area now. But we also want to say, hey, here are some places, here are some blind spots that we have. Even though it's not 1960, Sunday morning is still the most segregated hour in our week. Mm. What's going on with that? We want to come together and we want to say, hey, everybody plays. The ministry of Jesus Christ is not just a show of the clergy, but it's for every person. No matter who you are, where you're from, or what you've done. You're called to play. You're called to be a part of God's big story. So the space of conciliation is is the purpose of why we're doing the event on the 28th here at the Well CDC. Call together. Be there. Be there. And bring two friends. <laughs> so so tell us a little bit more about the Together Conference. You know who's going to be there, um, and a little bit more about like what what you guys are planning on addressing on the conference with a little bit more detail. Yeah, so we're going to have um, speakers from, from uh, all over Akron, different churches who are coming to speak. So, like, in, we broke it down in a segment, as a part of the conference. So, like, there's going to be a main issue addressed in a segment, and somebody will give, like, the overcast foundation of it all, biblical foundation of it. And then we'll have someone follow up with, like, an Akron uh, application, like a practical application of what it looks like here and how mm -hmm. we can walk that out. And that's going to be kind of the flow of it all. Um, and so, yeah, so Taylor Gray, the, the lyric he mentioned earlier, he's, he's a pastor at a church in Columbus. He's also a hip-hop artist, so he'll be speaking at the conference as well as performing in the concert. Um, Propaganda is an artist on Humble Beasts, tour with Lecrae and all them. Um, he will be on a panel discussion um, that will deal with more practicality of everything that we discuss in the conference uh, he'll be on a panel discussion as well as performing in the concert. Um, and so, yeah, 
So those are the people that we'll be bringing out to the event. Cool. And if someone wants to sign up for the event, you know, how, how can they do that? Uh, you can go to citizensakron.com and there's a, there's a together uh, page and you can hit that page and go and sign up there. If you want to go straight to it, you can go to citizensakron.com backslash together and that'll take you straight to the page and you can register there. Uh, if you want to come to the Well CDC here, we can, we can help you do that or you can just give us cash and you can come as well. Or you can come to Compass Coffee. Check out Compass Coffee. Yeah, Re- register right there too. <laughs> register right there. You have a yeah. Have, have a further discussion about it with us. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're really yeah. We're really we're really excited about together. And with those other speakers that Skyler talked about, we've got some folks who are from the from the Akron area who we feel like have been have just been pillars in the ideals that we're that we're going to share. Uh, we've got a guy coming who led a ministry in Akron called Campus Focus, who was a part of it for nearly 20 years. Like a lot of the, a lot of the reimagining that's happening in Akron right now is is due to this guy named Brian Kunkler, and he's coming and he's going to give a talk, and we're really excited about that. We've got a, we've got a wonderful woman from Maslin. Her name's Joy Ellis, and Joy is the daughter of Pastor Ellis in Maslin, who was a legend there. Mm-hmm. And Joy's been a part of the ministry that's happened there for a very long time. We're really excited about her coming. Uh, from City of Joy, one of the fastest growing churches in all the area. We've got uh, Pastor Maceo Smith coming, and he's going to give a word. We've got a guy named Jacob Lay coming, who was a part of everything that was happening there at the chapel in Akron, along with, uh, along with Brian Kunkler. I've heard many say, hey, there was this sermon at Campus Focus that Jacob Lay gave, and I gave my life to Jesus, and praise God for that. So we're just really excited about the the wonderful cast of individuals we have coming. And I mean, I can't I can't forget. I hope you listen to this. My main man Doug Cole is going to give a talk to. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. I hope he listens to this. He's my dude. Brian Kunkler is also leading a multi ethnic, currently leading a multi ethnic church right. um, on the west side of Akron. So it was very in tune with kind of where the kind of the movement of conciliation mm-hmm. and kind of what the church is doing there. Yeah, so we're really excited. And if you've never heard propaganda, rap, or do spoken word poetry, you should hit YouTube immediately and listen to it. Yeah. It's going to be good, Todd. I want to see you here in the front row. And Put those hands up. I'm going to be there. And here, one of the, one of the other things about together is that we hope that this isn't just like a one time conference where people uh, hear cool ideas and get excited about reconciliation, but that it really is catalytic for like the movement of the church in Akron, yeah. right? And so one of the things that's going to come come from here, um, let me just speak out of turn, but we're gonna we're gonna launch a documentary series where we can where we can rally people to say, hey, come come learn what this looks like even post conference right let's have let's have real conversations let's watch a documentary together um, and talk about kind of the systemic injustices of our community and we're not just talking about black white right we're talking about hey Akron has a ton of refugees in our community and what does it look like to value a refugee that's coming over here Um, what does it look like to have accurate information about what a refugee actually is Um, 
Yeah, so, so like, what does it look like for us as a church um, and us as the people of Akron to really move towards each other together? And that, that we can really move towards, like, man, what does it look like for us to be united in, um, in the church but as the city um, to advocate for injustices where, right where we live? Mm-hmm. So we hope, we hope that it's not just this one-time, maybe even one-time-a-year one event but that it becomes this catalyst that says, hey, how do I think differently about the way that I've been raised? How do I recognize my white privilege? How do I utilize that to then go out into the community and make a difference in my neighborhood? Um, how do I, yeah, so there's a million how do you questions, right, that we hope are, are addressed at this. But we really want it to be catalytic in the sense that it's not just an event, right? It, we're, we're really going to be pushing people towards here, Akron, now. How do, how do we move towards these things? Mm-hmm. And even if you're not from Akron, you're allowed to come. Oh, right. Yes, yes, even if you're not from Akron. Because yeah. there are things that um, you, I'm sure you can contextualize for your area and where you're from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can t- contextualize it anywhere. I mean, they're going to be truths, core truths of um, things that we would want to be true of any city, town, village, right. place. Um, so, yeah, exactly. it's not just an Akron I mean, thing. we're bringing Joy Ellis, who is from Maslin. I'm from Maslin. Um, and yeah, and we're in Akron, but we care about Northeast Ohio. And our goal is to see all of Northeast Ohio in the same light that we're working to see Akron. So mm-hmm. Great. Well, thank you all for joining us on the podcast today. We really appreciate it. And thanks for expanding our perspectives. Okay, thank you. Yeah, hey, thank you, thank you, man. Learner's Corner. Anytime that I'm a part of a conversation that we just had or one to where I'm learning from someone who doesn't have a different perspective than me, you know, I think it's always important for us to have those conversations because if you only learn from people who are like you, then you really don't learn as much as you possibly could. And everybody's got a different perspective and has something to offer. And that's why we need to continue to have these types of conversations. And that's why we'll continue to have these types of conversations on the podcast as well. The loudest minority oftentimes creates the biggest change. And a great next step for you may be to check out the Together Conference. And to find out more about the Together Conference, you can check out our show notes. So in the show notes, uh, it's a great place for you to be able to find lots and lots of stuff that happened in this episode. There will be a link to be able to check out the website that they've created for Together Conference, as well as be able to get, just get more information on it. Um, they're going to have some great speakers. I know that prop, the hip-hop artist uh, spoke Propaganda. Pro, prop's going to be there. Propaganda will be there. Which, hey, if you haven't listened to Propaganda... Keep interrupting me. Yes, I will. I if you haven't you. listened to Propaganda, you need to listen to Propaganda. Caleb's going to put the link to, to Propaganda's like latest album. Y'all got to check that out. Crooked. Oh, my gosh. Anyways, Taylor Gray is also going to be at this conference, as well as Brian Kunkler. And so we are so excited to be able to let you guys in uh, to be able to check out that. It'll all be in the show notes, but you can find other stuff there, too. We're going to have tweets, things that you guys can send out on Twitter. Um, And also, again, check out the show notes because we have a website now. If you can't figure out how to spell Learner's Corner, go there. It'll tell you. 
And if you want to continue to learn from the Learner's Corner podcast, feel free to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and all of your other podcast players. And next week, we have an incredible guest with us named Hudson Phillips. And Hudson is a, a director. He actually just completed filming his first film. The dude literally is a director. Yes, he is. And we're going to talk with him about his experience filming the movie, what he learned on set, and screenwriting, and all that other good stuff as well. And he's got cool hair. That is also true. If this podcast has helped you in any way, you can show your appreciation by leaving us a rating and writing a review of our podcast. That's the best way that you can help us, is by leaving a rating and writing a review of our podcast on iTunes. And check out the website. You can also let us know anything that you learned by hitting us up on social media. You can like our Facebook page and tell us there. Follow us on Instagram at The Learner's Corner or follow us on Twitter at our handle at Learner's Podcast. Until next time, keep learning and keep growing.